Welcome everybody to another episode of Crushing Comics. We are here to continue our epic X-Men reread. We are rereading classic Claremont X-Men in the order of the story, even if things were later inserted. So today we've got Uncanny X-Men 102 and 103. We'll also be reading the revisions to those issues in classic X-Men 10 and 11. We've already read the backup in classic X-Men 10, but we will be reading the backup in classic X-Men 11. And we might mention the backup in classic X-Men 16, and we'll explain why later. But here's a note about spoilers. We're going to talk about these issues fully and fundamentally. Because Tyler and I have read all of X-Men by Claremont, we could potentially spoil anything about Claremont and even beyond. And in these two issues, there's a specific character who has appeared after House of X and Powers of X in the X-Men issues of the past year, especially in X-Force. Mm -hmm. And we are going to talk about that character. So if you have not read any of X-Force in the past year and you want to avoid any knowledge of it at all, I'm sorry, but you cannot listen to this episode right now because we're going to just refer to it. I already can tell you we're going to refer to it so there's your <laughs> yeah. official spoiler warning and let's dig right in we now have juggernaut and black tom platonic life partners who are trying to <laughs> to what what are, what are what are they doing what is the goal like black tom already has the castle he's holding all of the people hostage already i've read this so many times and i don't know that i can explain to you what they're trying to achieve tyler faria help me so i am so okay i this is like going to be I'm like you know kind of revealing too much about myself. Oh for please some, do. <laughs> for some odd reason, I'm always confused between Juggernaut and Sabretooth. I don't know. What? They're what? completely different <laughs> characters. They're I mean, completely different characters. One is a serial rapist and one is just dumb. There's it's it's not it's <laughs> exactly. really different. Exactly. But the thing is, like, I don't know something about the name. I always have to remind myself. Oh no. This is not for some reason. I feel like Sabretooth's character feels like more Juggernaut. The name should go with him versus Juggernaut should go with. I don't know. Listen, it's I just because they're three syllables: thing. Juggernaut, Sabretooth. You're just <laughs> May, maybe, maybe. <laughs> I mean, trust really me. easy explanation. I don't know. Right. That's that's probably why I'm always kind of confused between them. So I have to remind myself. And then I'm always also very confused by the fact that Juggernaut is. Professor Xavier's stepbrother like yes. that always that always kind of very much like you know confuse me because these are so different people so Whoa. I, I don't a, isn't like, it like a very like Harry step. Potter and Dudley kind of relationship where like yeah. Kane Marco kind of always like beat up Professor X but then Professor X turned out to be the special one and at the end he was like no I want to be special too I'm going to find a secret ruby that makes me indestructible but no smarter but then at least they're family, but they're like stepbrothers. Like, and I, I just don't know how their whole dynamic works. And then the thing is like, I think like, it's just like a whole brain versus like super strength. And I, I don't know. It's just like, it's a, I'm always kind of very confused by the character job or not. And what's its reason for existence? What's his reason for existence? But now apparently it's because as Tom, uh, Black Tom Cassidy's uh, partner. So there's that. <laughs> Honestly, and I'm not just saying this to be like provocative. If they were just romantically linked, it would make mm-hmm. so many Juggernaut stories just make more sense. Sense. Like I, that's why I not jokingly call them platonic life partners because there's just this implication. I mean, we're kind of mushing both of these issues together a little in this intro chat. Yeah. But there's the implication by the end of issue 103 that Juggernaut will literally fling himself to the depths of the ocean to follow to... Black Tom 
And, you know, I I mean, you don't have to be somebody's romantic lover to feel that way. There are, mm-hmm. you know, people have platonic relationships of that depth. And it just helps me read more meaning into Juggernaut if I just treat it like they're platonic life partners. And so that's how I'm going to tell you, though, I am not throwing myself after either of you off the cliff. <laughs> like, no, like, you know, but uh, Chris Evans, yes. Like, you know, I'll, I'll do that. I mean, you'll so, follow America's ass anywhere. As the, yeah. yeah. Anywhere. Yes. That That's ass is being followed anywhere. Um, yeah. Even if you shave off everything off his face and no, no hair, you will still go after him. Freya enjoys bearded Chris Evans. I think I yes. think is the background you yes. need for this conversation. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Like yes. you know, we'll, we'll see, we'll see. Um, but the thing is, like, I also want to kind of talk about that. We didn't mention this mm-hmm. before that. Um, this uh, stone keep or like castle uh, is causing Storm to have a lot of claustrophobia issues. It is. Um, so, and then that kind of, uh, we, when we start this issue, there's like a whole fight with Joggernaut and the rest of the X-Men, but the Storm is being sidelined on the side with another, like, yeah. <sighs> sorry, those who can't see me <laughs> in the podcast, I just kind of did yeah. the whole She's having one of her Victorian fainting spells. That's why podcasts yeah, have soundboards where they play a repetitive sound so you can tell that the the, the, the joke has come back. I have to ex- we might have to experiment with that. Right. Yeah. You know, so the thing is like that's kind of what happened and then we are just seeing that who will stop Juggernaut? I don't know. But more interesting, I mean, the Juggernaut fight is like, okay, like, who can stop the Juggernaut? I mean, he's notoriously hard to deal with, and this particular team is not super well-equipped to fight him. They keep saying Storm is going to help. I think Banshee's the better better strategy than Storm or Wolverine, but whatever. But what comes out of this is we get more detail into Storm's origin. Claremont has already Mm -hmm. been teasing that there's something about her claustrophobia without, and gives us some flashes of it a few issues ago. But we get kind of the full-on narrative version of her origin. And much to our surprise, I think, as readers, is that she's born in New York. You know, Claremont kind of set her up as this African goddess, but we find out that she actually is probably an American citizen um, and that her family, you know, her her mother was originally from Africa and that her father was a photojournalist in the United States. She lives in the United States until she's five. Then they go over. At this time, it's establishing her as being born in 1951, which puts Storm at age 25 in this current story. And it Mm -hmm. gives us a little bit more about the tragedy of her parents dying, which is part of the um, war over the um, the Suez Suez War. So Freya, was this your first time? I mean, clearly you've read about Storm and clearly this is like common knowledge, but this was your, was this your first time seeing it presented narratively rather than just referred to? Yes. And then I also did not know about her American citizenship origin as well. I did not know that. Like, you know, this was like a very new, uh, but then also kind of explains a little bit on why she thinks she's a goddess because she clearly isn't. So you think that's American exceptionalism at work there for you? I feel like it. <laughs> like, you know, some things is not right. Like, I feel like there's, like, a lot of drugs that was used at some point uh, that is, like, I'm a goddess now, so I shall go to this location. And I feel like it's a, I don't know. Like, you know, I was like, whoa, that that is weird. But, um, yeah, so I think, like, you know, the claustrophobia actually kind of makes perfect sense because she was trapped under, a, like, you know, under, like, a house uh, for... So, like you know with her mother's corpse with for a very long corpse. time yeah yeah so it's just like you know it's one of my pet peeve about like being buried alive and all of that but then so i think like 
kind of makes a lot of sense like why she is like she's so strong and you know we have seen it for so long that she's very capable but then this one thing gets us gets her completely off the board and i think it's done very well and it's not like one of those like oh like you know the little lady cannot fight it's not like that it actually makes sense right it's not just about weakness like it is a weakness which does give her character some dimension but it's not about how she is weak it's just a weakness exactly and that's that's like it's like such a subtle difference when you know you're writing a character and i think like this is done very well it's a hard weakness also i think you, you know i mean you joke about her journey through africa to become a goddess but i i do think that claremont kind of sets it up here as it's kind of a very classic like vision quest hero's journey yeah. sort of situation where she, even though she was a thief, she probably could have just been a thief and turned into like the black cat of Cairo. But like she, she just feels pulled to be somewhere else. She doesn't feel like she's in her true home. And it actually just makes the goddess story read better for me that she like went on this quest, you know, she was alone. She could have died, but she just felt compelled to do it. And when she arrived at this place, she knew like this is where she was meant to be. Like maybe she would have still gone through that even if her parents had lived. Or maybe maybe she would have never become Storm if her parents had lived because she wouldn't have had this opportunity. It just, you know, Claremont's playing with very kind of specific Joseph Campbell kind of like transformation, hero's journey, swallowed by the whale kind of stuff here. Um, which I think is really interesting. And it makes Storm, this is one of the reasons Storm really comes out in front as the most interesting cast member for so much of Uncanny X-Men because Claremont just puts in so much more work to develop her than he does Nightcrawler or Colossus. And I mean, she walked for a year across like thousands of miles. And And I believe this is where she first met T'Challa during that walk. Yeah, if we were doing like full on retcon, we would insert that here. But it's like a it's like a flashback inside of a flashback inside of yeah. another issue. So we're just gonna get to it when we get. There's only so many levels of inception yeah. we're we're willing to do for this X Men uh, reread. But yes, that is technically if we had been reading when Storm was actually six, which would have been before X Men one, mm-hmm. we would have read it then um, and and progressed. But all of that actually happened before X Men one because Storm is older than all of the original X Men yeah. per this telling. Yes. I mean, before we get too deep into the story, um, well, we already went in We're quite deep. deep. <laughs> yeah, I just want to say, I just want to note that the change of Inkle, I think um, the previous episode, uh, not, not episode, the previous issue has a different like, Inkle as, as this current one. And I find that oh. is really apparent because the previous issue is looks a little bit rough around the edges and the art looks looks a lot more smoother smoother in 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 this in this issue i also think Um, that it feels heavier in this issue like i can feel the hand of the hinker inker a little bit more which maybe is just to your point maybe they're putting more of a strong finish on claremont's pencils and that's why or cockrum's pencils sorry um and maybe that's why the last issue kind of felt lighter but rougher because it was closer to the pencil work and this Mm -hmm. issue is like a little bit more finished but it just it feels like the characters have a lot more weight especially nightcrawler cockrum Mm -hmm. draws nightcrawler in this very kind of like ephemeral way usually but here he feels like his body just has a lot more like heft to it and it's not just muscle Mm -hmm. it's like how much um, weight he has on the page. Yeah, I mean, the, to be honest, um, when when I first started reading comics, I don't understand the difference between pencil and inker. And please you know, inker, do explain. I mean, inker I usually usually people think that oh they just trace over <laughs> the pencil's work, but if you look at um, 
I mean, one classic example that I usually use is that when you look at John Byrne inking himself and Terry Austin inking John it's Byrne, totally different. you see the difference. Yeah. And you see how much an inker brings to the art. So it's he, the inker not just trace. They add a lot of things to it. And I mean, for a good one. So for a good pair, you can see like the inker actually elevated the pencilers work. But for a bad pairing, um, I would say that it goes the other direction. The inker will sort of destroy drag it down yeah yeah i feel like that that way about um john romita jr not one of my all-time favorite artists but the inker changes his work so dramatically Mm -hmm. it's interesting to see how different inkers interpret his lines completely different from differently from one another and him with an inker that interprets in a certain way can be one of my favorite artists and him with an inker with a uh that interprets in a bad way is one of my least favorite artists and the inker makes that wide of a difference on on a single penciler yeah yeah well then this issue pretty much ends. I mean, there's not a lot to it. Like we get, we get one flashback to professor X, like sitting over Gene and he yeah. has his flashback to this, the, this ongoing alien plot thread, which yeah. doesn't seem to be going anywhere quite yet, although it will shortly. Uh, and so he leaves the room and Misty Knight comes in and is like, Hey girl to Gene, uh, you know, and Gene introduces yeah. her to professor X. And then Gene is like, so have you ever brought yourself back to life from death? Yeah. Misty? I'm like, Whoa, Gene, that is, that's a little intense. Like ask her how and she's been. And that, like, that is pre re Pre-recon uh, Jean, yeah, right? This is just... So, this is supposed to be Jean herself, not yeah. Phoenix talking. So, I'm like, right. whoa. It's heavy. It's a lot. Yeah. And, and no, no, I mean, we don't want to also not talk about the reverse uh, fastball special that happened at the earlier, that where Wolverine kind of throws Colossus at... Uh, Colossus. At, at Colossus at, at Juggernaut. Um, yeah. And then also... I mean, I don't know what was going on in Professor X, but he actually yeah. <laughs> tells, like, when Cyclops says, no, oh I'm not God. going anywhere. Oh, yeah, because, let's talk about that. Because I'm not going anywhere because I can't, even if I go, I can't change anything. Because, uh, granted, he they're in, like, Nightcrawler is not here. They're across the ocean. Um, it's not going to make any changes. But he says to, to Cyclops, you ungrateful, unspeakable car. I took you in, gave you, gave I Scott. What on earth? What is, I mean, even if we are looking at it from the lens of Hawksbox, maybe that makes sense because he's like now burdened with all this knowledge. Something's not right. He needs this X-Men to work. But, mm-hmm. oh my God. I know. I, and Professor Xavier is under a lot of stress right now. Is what is what we're hearing. I don't think that excuses it all. I'm no. like, because you're no, having dreams. I mean, like you know, it's really hard. Clarence yeah. does this a lot, where he like gives this professor like psychic dreams about something. I can think of at least three different times it happens, and every time it just turns him into like a raging asshole after the dream happens. And every time I'm like, it really doesn't seem all that upsetting. Maybe that's just like a limit of the comic medium to like express yeah. the kind of anguish that Professor X is or that Claire is trying to tell us Professor X is in. But every time he does it, I'm like, I don't know, I think he might just be a terrible person. Could it just be that he's no, a terrible he person? No, no, no. He's There is no way someone can have that much power and be not a terrible person. Oh. Like, he's, he's... You think like, absolute power corrupts absolutely is your position? Oh, yeah! Ooh. I mean... That's another Claremontism. <laughs> <laughs> that hey, will maybe, come back over and over again. 
And then maybe, maybe, you know what? Maybe I'm the Moira in this scenario. Like, I don't know. Maybe I've read this, I've seen these things and I'm just coming back. No, I mean, I'm just telling you. Like, you know, he has he has way too much power and for someone, for that much power to be the leader of X-Men and for the mutant to be where they are and then it took them this long to be where they are because he's not a good person. He's not right, you the ever leader just... you want. Magneto all the way. I mean, yeah, <laughs> it kind of makes you realize when you're rereading this, like how good of a leader is he? It's like you kind of have to take it as red because that's the continuity we've got. And it, it, you've yeah. just got to make it out that he's been making good decisions this whole time. But it just mm-hmm. makes me think about like just because you have power or just because you're in control, it doesn't mean you're good at that. Like it takes work to be a good leader. It takes a good work to treat people well. It, it takes work to be strategic. And it's just funny how we've had to kind of recast that in retrospect as Xavier having been that all the time. This is why I was a little bit upset when like Xavier kind of came back into power in this current Hox Pox world after being really thoroughly disposed of ever since Avengers versus X-Men because it kind of felt like finally Storm, Jean, and Kitty were in control. And I'm like, here's people who've shown by their actions all along that they were more suitable for this role than Mm -hmm. Xavier or Cyclops or Wolverine. But nope, I guess we're going back to the sauce farm because we've got Xavier and Cyclops and Wolverine back anyway. And I I can guarantee you that's because of the movies. That's because of the movies and because of to get new readers in and then they can't just move away from that. Blame Patrick Stewart and Ian McKellen for this. But at least we have Emma Frost. I think that's my my thesis. Well, I mean, we we Uh, do have a lot of strong female characters in this this current era of of, of X-Men. So... Um, I mean, I, I, I don't see... I mean, yes, Professor X... Is the worst. Magneto, yeah, <laughs> it is the worst. But talking about powers, right? There's one aspect of Nightcrawler's powers that I think a lot of reader, uh, a lot of writers um, forget. Even Claremont but, himself has some trouble deciding if, it's gonna, if he's going to remember it or forget it. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, here you see him sort of like, you know becomes invisible when it's dark so yeah I, so i at first i was like whoa i mean it's like the the drawing's not complete <laughs> <laughs> i was like whoa the drawing's not complete something's wrong with my marvel unlimited uh, but but then later it explained that it's like yeah. oh no you know and also those leprechauns what what's what what is up with that just well, because that, we're in ireland we need to have leprechauns it's leaning into those stereotypes for you. You gotta, you gotta lean in yeah. hard. Before, before yeah. you start, one of my my notes here is like, Fariha, what about the leprechaun's accent? <laughs> that was exactly what I wrote. I mean, everything about it. Like, the accent is not consistent, right? Like, you know, and then also like, just because we're in Ireland, we're gonna have leprechauns. And then these leprechauns, are like, and also like, because... He's also sometimes called Leprechaun. Like, you know, as a... Well, as an insult, right? Wolverine yeah, is like, hey, sh- Leprechaun, Shamrock, yeah. McElroy, right. was, you know? Yeah, exactly. So he's also sometimes called this. And then it's also reminded me of, like, you know, those baby uh, baby night crawlers that was, like, all over oh, the mentions. the Bamps. The Bamps. Like, those are the cutest, by the way. But the thing is, like, you know, I was just like... The, at first, I was like, oh, like, someone actually saved it. Then I'm like, whoa, these are... The size comparison. I'm like, whoa, what are we talking about? And then I'm like, oh no. <laughs> okay. Wow. So I have a lot but, of things uh, I like, wanna, It just I came wanna, from... I have a lot like, of things to touch on. Yeah. 
So Page first of all, the Nightcrawler powers thing. I mm. think Claremont early on was feeling like he didn't do enough. And so he wanted to give him the ability to like blend into shadows, which Claremont will refer to a couple of other times. But then in the classic X-Men revisions to this issue, they take it out and they're just like, no, his fur is just a dark color. Yeah. So it's kind of like, oh. and I feel like the, we've got, I honestly could not tell you in present day X-Men if he disappears into shadows or not. I'm, I'm actually not, I can't even tell you yeah. what the current state of his powers is. So there's that. Um, in the classic X-Men revisions, we also get a little bit more time with Xavier's space vision to explain why he's an asshole. And also, um, <laughs> it modernizes the references in Storm's origin a little bit. So it's not part mm-hmm. of the Suez conflict. So she doesn't yeah. have to be tied to 1951. And that's something that all the classic X-Men issues do that we haven't always called out explicitly. But they definitely yes. always take a moment, like if there's anything that ties it to a certain time or a place, it tries to make it more vague which became Marvel's mm-hmm. ongoing policy under Jim Shooter as an editor yeah. as time continued. But now let me just, to get us through to the next issue and Leprechaun talk, <laughs> I just want to say, Claremont's not always good. And there are good aspects of these two issues, which I enjoy, particularly mm-hmm. Black Tom as a villain, Storm's development as a character. But this is not good X-Men. Like, if I was telling somebody <laughs> to catch up on Claremont and I was making them like a like a boutique customized bespoke list from me it would not include these two issues unless i knew they were like a massive black tom fan because it's Mm -hmm. just a little tiresome but here's the thing we're reading this as modern readers this just had to sell in a newsstand you know in 1976 not every issue was going to be like phoenix force you know sentinels whatever like there are throwaway issues up until in my opinion the night the 150s and 160s of x-men that's when it starts to congeal into this like every issue is a heavy hitting issue and i just want to prepare for Virya for the fact that there are bad boring claremont issues (laughs) and sometimes they're about leprechauns that thank you for coming to my ted talk but you say that this is a bad issue i actually kind of enjoyed it to be honest so you like this you like the whole secret secret leprechauns give them a sock so they can be a real free elf whole subplot here i mean well not necessarily the leprechaun subplot i mean i I, that wasn't even the (laughs) even the point for me but the fact that you know they they it actually explains a little bit more about who banshee is other than the red shirt of uh x-men i mean from and then also the fact that you know the black tom is related to him and then there's like a like it just was like a soap opera aspect of it you know like so you like it you like this issue I mean, I was like, okay, it's another issue. You know, would I like, would I have liked to seen them actually go through with the holiday a little bit more rather than being in another fisticuff? Yes, but at the same time, I'm like, okay, these are the people. I'm, I just got to know a little bit more mutants and then the fact hmm. that there are mutant, like the world of mutant is more than just X-Men and their X-Mansion. Mm-hmm. And that so is what's important about what Claremont is doing here, where he's giving yeah. us new mutants. This is the first new mutant he's given us, other than members of the team, right? Because Nefaria just had his Animan. Yeah. Eric the Red, as it turns out, is not a mutant. Lang had Sentinels. So this is the first mutant that he's mutant. introduced to all of his own, other than the cast. So that's a really good point for you. Mm-hmm. Also, Black Tom, do you like this kind of more dastardly evil villain Black Tom? Or do you like our current day X-Force He's a poet and he didn't know it. Black Tom, who's a little bit not right in the head. Um, definitely. Well, you can tell this is, it's going to go there, 
Like it's it's very. It's <laughs> you connected. feel like this is a this is there's a through line between this Black Tom and yeah, this Black Tom. Yeah, because you know he hasn't thought this through. How he's gonna get all these X Men here, all these powerful X Men, but a powerful mutant by the way here, and how he's gonna control it, control them. He has no plan. And then now we see him as the poet of Krakoa, just walking around, coming up with poetry, and then be like, "Yo, man, Krakoa is talking to me." So <laughs> it's no. all, it's all coming together. <laughs> I'm just kind of sad that Juggernaut is not with him. Well, that's the thing. I mean, no. Juggernaut actually is written really well currently by Yeah, he Isiza. has his Yeah, he has his Yeah, he's a mini series and uh-huh. I, I I really enjoy it because um I think it's written really well and it's drawn beautifully. It is. Ron Garney is so good. Maybe we'll yeah. do that as like a extra lap kind of episode after we're yeah, through X we of should. Swords because it's been really yeah. great. But I do want to talk about part of Freya talking about the through line with Black Tom is like his original power was just like if he was holding his shillelagh, he could send a blast through it. Like that was the yeah. extent of his powers originally written. Over time, it becomes that he um, has a connection with, you know, plant matter and biological matter and he can like grow and change it. And that's how he focuses his power. And then he can move his body and his consciousness around. And it kind of just like goes deeper and deeper. But it's funny to me to read this issue because I have to keep reminding myself, what is he like? His power is hitting people with a shillelagh. What is his power? Like what is, what is his power here? But it's actually kind of funny if you think about that. He almost, in the way that some characters in comics and movies mutate, become more machine than man. Yeah. He like over time almost becomes more plant than man. Plant. And this yeah. is like the original version of him where he's just holding the staff and he's stick. like, Oh, I've got a stick. But then over time he becomes a plant person. It's kind and of not, got like a swamp thing quality to it. And don't forget that he's all, one of his power is also cancel, um, uh, Banshee's power. Sean's. Well, right. that's yeah. something which yeah, some like, writers, <laughs> I cancel yeah. your power. That no, why? But but that's that's <laughs> the thing that no no, there's a reason behind this. I think, um, at least from my reading, Claremont has always wrote that um, any blood relationship, the powers we'll cancel, cancel each other each. out. Yeah, he does enjoy such that, that Havoc mm. and Cyclops powers does not affect each other. Well, eventually so, they will. Right now, I think they yeah. do because Claremont hasn't figured it out yet. Correct. Yeah. So yeah. So that's that. I think is kind of the intention but um you know it's not consistently applied sometimes i mean i I think claremont does try to be as consistent as possible but once he leaves the titles some someone came in and they will just forget about this just like i think nowadays most people will not mention about uh the smell of teleportation by nightcrawler Oh, the it still smell? comes out sometimes, but I I know what it you does. mean. Like it's not. It's kind of like been mentioned so many times that yeah. like, you need to. Me- it's kind of taken as red. <laughs> like Wolverine's whole it hurts every time with the claws. Like yes, we get. Yeah. It. Uh, so there's a couple of little things here, and I kind of want to just throw them out because I don't know that you're mm. both gonna care to talk about all of them. So let me just throw some topics out here. Eric the, Eric the Red connection, right? We get the idea that Eric the Red is somehow responsible for this Black so, Tom plot, yeah. but he's also connected to the Space Dream, which is kind of like the first time this all gets pulled together. So there's that. Mm-hmm. There's Nightcrawler. Like Claremont finally figures out what to do with Nightcrawler. I know I kind of said that an issue ago with him jumping around, um, you know, fighting, I think, the Sentinels on the space base. But yes. here we get a whole sequence of Nightcrawler leaning into his kind of like flamboyant, debonair kind of screen actor personality, and he kind of saves the day 
play briefly. So that that's kind of fun. Mm-hmm. And then also just all of the Storm development, which also includes development via other characters. Like Storm go, r- rages out on, on Black Tom Cassidy and Juggernaut, but also we get Colossus like beating on Wolverine for calling Storm abroad and like broad. all of these kind of like inner team oh. dynamics yeah. around Storm as Claremont continues to figure out like who Storm is and, and that she's actually mm-hmm. the star of this run. So having said that, Eric the Red, Nightcrawler, Storm, anything else you want to talk about, feel free to dig in. Freya, I turn it over to you first. Um, no, I mean, the, the one with the um, Storm that we talked about before, that is just another one of those, oh, Wolverine is not a very savory character, so let's <laughs> no, just give him not. another thing. Yeah, let's yeah. just give him another thing, and then he's going to call her broad the whole time, <laughs> um, which I was like, okay, whatever. And then, you know, and then Colossus is like, yeah, don't call her broad. And then it's like, another time you call her broad, that I'm going to throw you. Like, it's like, well, that's a rule that you guys already have, so how is <laughs> yeah, that Yeah, you already throw him. It's not that much of a threat, <laughs> yeah, is it? <laughs> yeah, it's just like, what are you, what are you doing with it? And then it's like, since when you are like her, like you know, my sister's keeper, like you know. So there's like a lot of that going on as well. Um, but then, um, the to to that point that you were talking about that you know, how this issue not being good, but I think it's also good from the point of view of like um, seeing Nightcrawler being more active in yeah. action. You know, he's yeah. like just not like bamfing around. He's um, you know doing something more sneaky which I think, like, you know, kind of also worked here. Um, but, yeah, so I think that's... Uh, but, yeah, in terms of Eric the Red and then also the space thing, I don't have much comments because who knows what's going to happen. We're almost well, there. Well, I, I have a few things to say. I mean, okay. one is that... Um, um, let's point out the fact that Claremont seeded this whole thing in issue 99, and then with that one scene of the, the lawyer sending the letters, and then... Mm. Um, Another famous Claremontism makes its appearance here, which is the uh, whatever, whatever, preserve me. That happens quite a lot of times. <laughs> like, usually you would be like, oh no, dear God, preserve me, or something like that. But it happens quite often. Um, oh, okay. The, the other thing is this um, both Colossus and uh, Banshee. Um, found a way to, um, to, to to fight back against Wolverine's um, you know use of like you know demeaning terms. They both call him shorty, <laughs> or something like yes. that, and that that makes him back off a little bit because after Colossus called him like short stuff or something like that, um, you know, uh, he 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 called uh, Storm lady, and then before going back to Broad again. So, uh, so okay, Wolverine has uh, feelings too. I think is time. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but the thing is, that, the distinction between though is like Wolverine uses uh, nationality or like something mm. else to kind of like something that a person has no control over correct. versus the others. Well, I guess if you said like Canadian, that's not even an insult. No, but <laughs> but, but you Canadian about his height. You're such a Canadian. Yeah. But, but yeah, but so, but then they kind of come back with the individual issues about him, yes. which I think is like more palatable than calling someone something just because <laughs> who they are. Like, True. I don't, ex- I don't accept that. Like, I don't, I don't accept of, that, they, but I'm not. Uh, but they sort of right. found a way to make him feel like self-conscious too. <laughs> it's like, okay, you shot stuff. <laughs> right. Yeah. Which and, I don't think works anymore, but. Did we talk about Storm being a lockpick here? 
No, that's actually one of the most interesting things. I think that Storm's active not only because she jumps into the battle, but Storm she just has more to do. Like Claremont yeah. has kind of fully developed who she is, so she picks locks. In addition to being claustrophobic, in addition to jumping in the battle, in addition to saying we're all going to go to dinners as equals, like I think these yeah. two issues really is Claremont figuring out who Storm is and to a lesser extent who Nightcrawler is. I think that's what mm-hmm. mostly happens in these two issues. Mm-hmm. The the Black Tom thing is just like a red herring yeah. for for these other things. And I have a one random question: Be- Is Amon's being forced to help um, Black Tom and Juggernaut because? Because the leprechauns were being held hostage. Well, because the family was everybody. They were like holding everybody's families hostage too. Correct, in, but yeah. did you see his family at all when they are drawn? Because all I see are leprechauns. I think the yeah. I I always am confused as the implication that like that's the families and the leprechauns or those are the leprechauns, but also the family. Like, I, I don't know. I yeah. said at the beginning, I still can't explain what Black Tom's plan is here. And I'm going to go out saying the same thing. Yeah, because I, I was just <laughs> thinking, oh, is, is, the, is it like the elf situation? The elf movie situation? Oh, I don't know. Where Elmo no, none of like, us know. None of us know what you mean. <laughs> but, uh, oh, but the thing is- you don't remember the, the movie, Elf? Alf had a movie? Alf as in E-L-F, not A-L-F. Oh, oh I thought we were talking about Alf who eats who eats cats. No, I've never seen oh, the no, world no, film. No, no, no. What? Yeah, the, a, wo- the world film. Gets... Okay, is I think we are digressing too far. Yeah, this is that's a, yeah. a whole other podcast. So, so look, these, this issue isn't modified too much by its classic X-Men counterpart. It gives a little bit more of the alien vision things. Again, Claremont realized that it was a bad plot. And also, um, it gives Storm just a little bit more of a moment in the final fight. But now we come to the actual classic X-Men backups. Classic- oh, wait, wait, wait. Oh, no, Tyler something. has one more thing. We forgot something. We forgot something. What? Wolverine's name. Oh, do they call him Logan? Yes. The leprechauns call him Logan. Call him Mr. Logan here. Oh, How did so they this know? Not... This I guess was the this first is time. special leprechaun powers. Yeah, this, yeah. They, I think the, the reply was like, How do you know my name? He's like, Oh, I am. We little people know a lot, you know? <laughs> oh my gosh. Mm. What a weird pair of issues. <laughs> I so, know. So look, classic X Men 10, we already talked about. It has a Wolverine backup in it. We talked about it in line where it fits in with previous issues. Classic X Men 11 is actually set directly after this issue. It is weird. There's like a writer who's suicidal and hangs out with Storm at an airport. And I, again, maybe I'm just maybe I'm just kind of hypnotized after reading Claremont classic Claremont and I can't shift gears but can anyone put some remarks around this that are more coherent than mine I thought it was uh, uh, to be honest I'm not sure what's the what's the purpose it serves I think it's like okay mutant can do more for humans than just fight um, or but it just all very um, out of place like, yeah, and it just, just didn't feel like it really said anything very interesting about Storm. Like, she was compassionate, but then it just ends with ends with her getting beaten over the head. And then she's like, oh, well, it was a happy ending anyway. Like, it just was such a, it's such a weird moment. And I don't well, even it, know... It, it, it wasn't if, even know the happy ending. Yeah, it's not yeah, really. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Because you don't know what, what choice the writer made at the end. 
like did he choose to because i feel like this is more of a sandman story than it does kind of feel sandmany yeah yeah sandman will have a story like this where it's like oh and then the dream appears and then shows him like you know what to do and then the writer would definitely fall off the tower at the end because that's how sandmans work but um yeah i just don't know what purpose it served or what it provided and uh, i don't know i mean i wish the writer was a mutant you know that would have made more sense but he wasn't or we don't know what he was and then mm. it was like okay what's the point of it then yeah, this might be yeah. the first one that just really didn't come together to me out of the backups, which is great, you know? We made it 11 issues, and yeah. this is the first one that's, like, not terrific. Well, the other thing also is that I don't know um, when this happened, because this this occurs in London. So I don't remember any, t- any one time when the X-Men were in London. I think it's meant to be, like, as they're traveling to come back, which happens over the course of the next issue. Yeah, but is it... Were they ever in Europe? Yeah, they're just in Ireland. This issue's Ireland. backup story. This, this is what the omnibus has That's to true. say. That's true. This issue's That's true. backup story is set between X Men One Hundred Three and One Hundred Four, and involves Storm taking a brief trip from Cassidy Keep to London and sharing her reverence for life with a man who has lost his own. So it is deliberately meant mm. to set between uh, this issue and the okay, next the issue. Next one. Yeah. Got it. Got it. Okay. Sounds good. But yeah, I mean, I didn't get much out of it other than, hey, Storm can stop a man from committing suicide. Yeah, but it also feels a little bit like, um, what do you call it? Like, like kind of Astro City. So oh. it's just like slice of, it's just one little yeah. slice. Yeah. It's like, uh-huh. it's like if the X-Men are real, you know, that there, there might be a, 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 a a scene that actually happens like that you know with storm being compassion and compassionate and things like that and i saw in some ways you know the flying scene also reminded me of like richard donner's uh, superman hmm. oh, because superman and lewis you know when they when superman first uh when lewis first in- interviewed superman they were flying right they, he, he took her he took her flying mm. Well, and also, if you want to be entirely complete in your reading order, there's an ever-so-brief X-Men appearance in Iron Fist number 11 here, but we will be Mm -hmm. tackling Iron Fist separately. So if you want to continue our epic X-Men reread with us, the next issues we will have will be Uncanny X-Men 104 through 106. 106 is sort of a fill-in, so we'll probably squeeze it in, even though that gives us three issues, which means you'll also want to read classic X-Men 14 and 15 as well. So please do continue reading with us as we continue reading together because x-men is what for you it's the it's uh, uh, it's the best <laughs> we're still we're, we're workshopping we're still, we're workshopping. still working out we're still trying <laughs> x-men is better when it's read together that's right that's, that's what right. that's what our motto is so from us reading together myself here in wellington new zealand and tyler and freya back in the states to everybody listening thank you so much for tuning in for another issue of crushing comics as we continue our epic x-men reread we'll be back for more so make sure you subscribe and thank you so much for being a part of us reading x-men together take care everybody and be well bye